Andy, how are you? It's James Lowe with KJ Radio. How are you today? Actually, if you want to hold the line here for just a second, I will get you on with our panelists and we'll get going. Hold on. You're on, Jiggy. Okay, hold on just a second. I'm going to put you on uh, mute here, on hold, and I'm going to start the music. Hold on. Welcome to the world-famous Jiggy Jaguar radio program. Broadcasting live from Hutchinson, Kansas. Well, I'm sitting here with a linguist. I had a linguist. no idea. <laughs> I, love I didn't that. know you were, but I didn't know that you were a wordsmith. <laughs> Call Jiggy right now. Two six seven twenty two Jiggy. Daddy Hey Jiggy, what's happening, man? Must be that uh, David Bowie song. Jiggy play guitar, Jeff. It's a great name, man. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Presenting. I'm, I'm Mike Massey, and, uh, you know, you can catch me on Jiggy Jag TV and uh, see a few of my tricks up there. Thank you very much. Jiggy Jaguar. I never knew what freedom was until I saw you lose yours. Welcome to our fabulous edition of the world-famous Jaguar Radio Program, coast-to-coast and border-to-border on TuneIn, iTunes, Radio Loyalty, Stitcher, and, of course, 50-plus AM FM stations across the country and around the world, iHeartRadio as well, AMFM247.com. And a special edition today, uh, we normally uh, do these shows on Monday, but yesterday was Fourth of July holiday. We wanted to uh, get today's show going, and we've got a great guest with us today, um, Andy Gage Gauze is going to join us here in a few moments. We've also got Don Mazzella and Dan Perkins on Skype. And uh, first of all, before we get into any of this stuff, <laughs> I want to bring in our our guest today, who is going to be uh, going to be part of our conversation today. Uh, the the topic is is Brexit recession on the way. Britain shocks the world and leaves the EU. What does that mean for Americans? We have. Uh, Andy Gauz with us today. Andy, how are you? Fabulous. Couldn't be better. Now, uh, first of all, tell us a little bit on your background, and then we'll let Don and Dan uh, jump in here and ask you some questions. Uh, I'm a paper boy that started collecting coins in 1965 and noticed the change. <laughs> and I was, like, pulling on a thread because a cheap suit, it just all came apart in my hands. So over the next 40 years, I studied the American monetary system, how it operated before closing of the gold window and the removal of the silver standard. I've written a couple of books, Secret World of Money, Uncle Sam Cooks the Books, and I'm working on a third, A Monetary History of the United States. Now, you have a, a, a lot of uh, background with money, and uh, our, our, our one of our columnists today, uh, one of our contributors, Mr. Dan Perkins, has a, has a lot of background with money, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to him here in a few moments and have him ask you some questions. We've also got Don Mazzella with us today, and then we're also going to talk about this Hillary situation. But, Andy, um, what has been the overall reaction of the global marketplace to Britain's decision to leave the EU? Uh, like a you know, hearing that your friend is having an ugly divorce. That's it. <laughs> okay. And so if if you have business dealings with him or her, and you might be a little worried about their performance in light of all the stress they're going to be under, so maybe you back off a bit. People choose sides, and then we haven't even called the lawyers yet, but they are going to call the lawyers, and now they're going to divide the property. It's a mess all around, and so anyone who has even <laughs> 
a peripheral involvement with anything British or anything EU, or Euro especially, is uh, taking a step to the sidelines and saying, what should I do instead? And a great many of them in a flight to safety are running to Japanese yen, U.S. dollars, U.S. stock market, I imagine uh, uh, Swiss and, and other currencies as well. Andy Gauz with us today. Check out andygauz.com, G-A-U-S-E dot com. And he's one of the most uh, foremost experts in America on the history of U.S. currencies, the president of SDL uh, Numeristics in Hawthorne, New Jersey, member of the American Numeristics Association. He's the author of The Secret World of Money and Uncle Sam Cooks the Books. He's also the editor of the World of Money newsletter. Uh, now, some predict that Brexit could trigger a recession or depression. G- give me your comments on this. Well, absent action by the Fed. Uh, obviously, if everyone looks to settle their accounts, then you know, money has to flow one side to the other and so forth. The, the, the British Central Bank, even on the announcement, had uh, some £3 billion ready to inject into its monetary system. And the Federal Reserve uh, has held back interest rate rises in this country, along with a general availability of funds to the uh, American arm of these British banks. So you think about how many British, British banks are involved in the U.S., uh, that's how many are also involved in, in all of Europe. And they're going to have to pack up their stuff and effectively leave because they're not entitled to do domestic banking in the EU if they're not part of the uh, common market. Yeah. So this is going to be a mess for Great Britain, and, it, and it's going to bleed over into the United States as our central bank accommodates their needs. And And this is something, of course, I have a huge problem with, but... This is the attitude of our central bank, just like, you know, we're the policemen for the world. Well, now we're going to be the bankers for the world again. <laughs> Fantastic. And it's always at the expense of the American who uses the dollars uh, for both their storage of wealth and for the things that they have to buy every day. Now, we also have with us today, joining us on the panel, Donald Mazzella. He, of course, is uh, SB Digest and uh, co-host of Two Guys from Verona on uh, W4CY each and every Tuesday on W4CY Radio. Don, um, listening to all this, uh, what do you have for Andy? Well, uh, you know, uh, I've always been been for uh, Britain being independent, but but I guess my question... um, uh, to to our uh, guest today is how long is this going to take to work out? I just saw a, a story today in the Wall Street Journal about the, everybody going slow. But what are we talking about? A year? Six months? What do you think? Well, if you just follow the timetable set out, the way it has to work now, because the Prime Minister failed to give formal notice under Article 50 of that treaty, uh, the Lisbon Treaty, so they have to then wait until the new prime minister takes office. So when is that going to be? September, October, November, perhaps. And then he or she is either going to tell the the EU formally that my people voted out (laughs) with a written document, in which case now there's a two-year unwind period in which all new trade deals have to be negotiated, all, you know, intertwined businesses, anyone traveling under a British passport in the EU or who has moved to Europe under a British passport would most likely have to go back to Britain 
uh, any company that's operating under those terms would have to renegotiate. So it's going to take at least two years for them to work out these small, minor details. And then, of course, there's the banking business, which is the crux of it all. All of the bonds and underwriting that the banks do, uh, they will no longer be allowed to do cross-border without a separate agreement. We've got uh, a great guest with us today. Andy Goss joins us, andygoss.com. He is the one of uh, America's vo- foremost experts in the history of U.S. currency, president of the SDL Numeristics in Hawthorne, New Jersey, member of the American uh, Numistax Numi- Association. He's also the author of The Secret World of Money. Uncle Sam cooks the books, and he's also the editor of the World of Money newsletter. We've got Don Mazzella with us today, SB Digest, and uh, also our good friend Dan Perkins, I believe, is joined us from the hill.com and uh yes sir and 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 we we're, we're talking money we're talking uh the eu um uh, exit um now um now andy um gold and precious metals have been shooting up since britain's decision to leave the eu why and how much longer will precious con- prices continue to rise and then i'll let dan jump in there and ask you a few questions yeah you know it's it's a it's a foregone uh, conclusion that the central banks of the world will ramp up their supply of money for people to buy and sell whatever they need and to, and to pay off whatever debts they've incurred. So this is um, part and parcel of the issue. How much new money is going to enter circulation relative to how much is already in circulation? And so folks that are worried about that sort of thing naturally gravitate to gold and silver. And if you look at the, what happened in the gold and silver prices just in the last couple of weeks since the announcement, it's been rather dramatic. Now, nowhere near the market highs of 2011, of course, when we had the, the panic from the mortgage meltdown, but uh, still a significant move. And given that the previous high was 1900 and change, nearly $2,000 on gold, and $45 on silver, any chart watcher would look at this and say, wow, there's a long way left to go. Uh, just to reach previous highs. So I think the future goes well for gold and silver and gold and silver coins. Dan, your thoughts on all this? Um, if I want to buy a Coca-Cola, how do I pay for it with my uh, gold bullion? Well, I don't recommend gold bullion, but just like any other asset, you have to convert first to the coin of the realm. And no one is suggesting that you're going to be running through the streets naked trading your gold bullion for food. But at the same time, as a store of wealth, uh, the idea that you store your wealth, the money that you don't use right now, in something like gold bullion, and again, only a percentage. I think American equities are probably going to offer some great opportunities, as well as real estate in the United States. I don't know that I'd be buying real estate in Great Britain right now, uh, but certainly tangible assets in the U.S. and any of the agricultural ETFs or the gold and silver ETFs, I think, will do quite well in well, the, I guess the concern that I have, I've, I've been managing money for 43 years, and and ownership um, ownership of gold and silver has been touted as the uh, inflationary hedge, but if you look at the relative price of gold and silver relative to inflation over an extended period of time, um, we've had no protection from the 1920 level for inflation because we've had inflation that continued to rise, albeit moderately, but we saw bullion drop to over 
which is over 1100 So at certain times, it may be an inflationary hedge. In other times, it is no inflationary hedge at all. My concern is here's that... Here's where we differ on that point. If you forgive me, this is where we differ on that point. It's like a plumber could look at this system and say, well, wait a minute, there's you know, $19 trillion in debt piled up over here in this corner, and there's obligations to Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid that have to be met, and we have a government that's running deficits in excess of $600 billion a year. Where's all this money going to come from? And so the right. greater the pile in the tank that holds over this market, what do you guys call it, the overhang, the worse the, the scenario for the dollar can be. So if all of that money kind of comes flooding into the system at the same time, you could have the kind of a burst that would make owning gold, you're right, for the last, say, taking out 20, uh, 2007 to 2011 and just looking at, say, a 20-year period before that, it's a dead right. asset. It's almost like, you know, why you have, why own it at all when there's so many right. greater opportunities elsewhere? So I, I understand the logic, but it's like fire insurance to me or car insurance. <laughs> I'm not going to drive without it. So while I would argue that uh, having a financial planner or manager like yourself guide you in the stock market. In the gold market, it's pretty simple. It's a cash and carry, 10 to 15% of your total assets as an insurance policy. God forbid anything dramatic occurs. What do you guys call it? A black swan where never saw that coming. It could very well put the kind of pressure on currencies that would cut their value in half in a very short time. And having gold and silver in that era, I think, would be a great thing to own. Well, I, I guess my concern about owning gold and silver, um, um, if, if you, if, let, let's go back to the example of the, the previous high of 1,926. Now, uh, at $1,926 on a troy ounce of gold, what would be the cost? for an individual to buy at 1926 Yeah, right. There's a spread, the spread between bid and ask on gold. I deal primarily in gold coins, say an old $20 St. Gaudens, which contains an ounce of gold. But let's look at that environment. The difference between bid and ask is huge, you know, 6 and 8% in many instances. And this is on the so-called generic gold where there is um, no exorbitant collector premium. When you get into some of the rare exotic collector coins, their premiums difference between what you can buy it for and what you can sell it for can be as high as 30%. I remember when I first started, I saw an 1876 $3 gold piece, one of 45 made. And at the time, I could have bought the coin for $9,000. And if I would have sold it on that same day, I would have been lucky to get $5,000 for it. Well, I passed. And, and recently saw the same coin sell for $45,000. So it, it is that spread that, unfortunately, that's where the, the smart money goes, the strong money, let's say, that can afford to buy something, put it in their estate for 20 or 30 years, and know that when they go back to it, it's going to be worth significantly more than what it was uh, when they put it there. But that person who, what, when did we hit 1926? On, on, on uh, that would have been gold. 2011 in summertime, probably uh, June or July. And the person that so, bought it in 1926, yeah, he, he's dead, you know, because he's <laughs> lost a, you know, a third of his capital. But it, but he you know, lost more than that because of the spread. He needed he needed gold bullion to go from up 8% by 1926 because that's what he was really paying. And if he wanted to sell it, 
he needed he was going to take another haircut of another eight to ten percent or more on his goal position, so that the spread is, as you said, could be as much as thirty percent depending upon the type of gold. Shows the the, the, right. the liquidity in the market makes it very difficult. So that guy had bought in nineteen twenty six. He may or may not break even, but it's already oh, been six, almost five years, almost six years from where he bought, and he's he, he, he's he's done two things. He's earned no interest, yeah, no, doubt, no, no dividend, I mean, yeah. and his his property, his asset is worth uh, uh, $7. Um, so, yeah. what, what, how long is he going to have to wait before he can get back to what his And if he gets back to 1926 and it takes him 10 years to get back to even, then he's lost money to inflation for the previous 10 years and has made zero return on his money. I understand right, yeah. the allure of gold and silver, but I'm concerned that there are a lot of people, and I'm not saying you are one of those people, there are a lot of people who prey on the fear of people about inflation, about governments, about currency fluctuations, and they are taken advantage of by certain people. As you pointed out, spread could be as much as 30%. So the idea that you can put any asset away and not look at it for 10 or 20 years, even with stocks, even with treasury bonds, uh, and even with gold and silver or platinum, you can't do that anymore because oh, no, these markets can turn on a dime and you can lose exactly a lot of money. Top or, yeah, you can't, you can't expect to buy it at exactly the bottom or sell it at exactly the top. You know, for us, uh, the way that we view it is that numismatic coins, coins that have significance in collector appeal, they have a tendency to outperform bullion, just bars, bricks, and blocks of gold by multiples, no question about it. But for the average individual, they are only persuaded to buy gold and silver based on those fear tactics that you talk about. So, you know, somebody right. comes on the radio, oh, it's the end of the world coming. You should sell the wife and the kids and buy gold. And, and a great many people do without even asking, well, hey, if I could wanted to sell this thing today, what could I get for it? So this sort of education, I think anyone who's considering gold and silver coins as, a, as an investment should really ask themselves these questions. So, we put together three audio CDs to explain it, but the reality is uh, it, you should ask more than a question when buying gold and silver coins, and you should never try to catch a falling knife or, you know, I don't know which analogy to use, but to try to say move in all at the same time so that, you know, that's going to be your point now, and it's either make or break on that. And you're right, so many people did that at 1926. 1,800, when instead, if they were just take 10% of their investment dollars in any given year, you know, 10% of what you put in stocks, 10% of what you put in bonds and your other traditional investments, and maybe put a portion of that into gold bullion, on a yearly basis, dollar average, and you have a half a chance of seeing a decent return. Other than that, you're, you're looking at insurance, monetary insurance, in the event that the big thing happens you at least have something that's going to sustain value and not be someone else's liability. You know, Joe owes me money. Maybe he'll pay. Maybe he won't. But let me let me take your scenario. Let's say we have a major catastrophe. Now, right now, you're saying that in the non-numismatic coins, 
the spreads can be as much as 30%, okay? No, no, in non-numismatic so, coins, eight, 6 to 8%. Okay, but th there are, there are, in the, in the okay. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, I, I've seen, I've spread. seen prospectuses and offering circulars on gold dealers who want 22 to 25% selling both directions. I've actually seen it in oh, print yeah. and, and, and reviewed it for clients, but set that aside. Oh, my no concern question. is, no my concern is, my concern is that when that catastrophe comes, what makes us, what, what, what makes you believe that the gold and numismatic coin market will become more liquid? Because the only way to protect yourself into that catastrophe is, is through selling and we already have a market that's not that liquid, what makes us, what, what would make you believe that the spreads would narrow and liquidity would increase? Well, the statistical guys call it return to the mean. You know what? At the end of the day, what it, how did Paulson put it? Until the water goes out, until the tide goes out, you can't tell who has a bathing suit on. And gold is the only asset that isn't someone else's liability, and silver. So in times of uncertainty, you must admit, 5,000 years of history have shown us that gold and silver coins are always valuable. They're always money, where 1933 has shown us that every now and then the banking system and the stock market and everything do go cattywampus. So on that day, if you have a little bit of your money in gold and silver coins, you're fine. But now I know my grandfather buried his gold in 33, and it wasn't legal to own again until 73. So... That's a good long time to be without your money. So I understand your concern, but in my field, this is the ultimate what is money. So in the event nothing else is liquid and you have tangible wealth, I remember 1980. You remember that when the Hunt brothers cornered silver? You had bags of silver coin. When, when mortgage rates were 18 and 20%, you could buy houses for 70 cents on the dollar asking price because no one could get a mortgage. So right. there are times when we revert to that mean, to that what is money. And at the end of the day, remember what Article One of the Constitution says, right? No state shall make anything but gold and silver coin a tender and payment of debt. Well, everything else is an IOU. Gold and silver coins are the money, according to the Constitution. I, I love this game of musical chairs. I hope the music never stops. But if it ever does... I'm going to make sure I have a chair, at least a piece of one. So that's yes. my logic for buying a portion of my wealth. Con I'm sorry. My, my concern is, is that I understand your hedge position. I understand what you're saying, but I am I have grave concern that if we hit that catastrophe, will the there is there there's no regulation of your market. Will the market makers step up and and redeem that gold when? When that customer who's had uh, coins or whatever forms of gold and silver, when he when he wants to sell them in order to buy food for his family, will there be a market there for people who will stand ready to buy whatever comes to the market to sell? I have grave concern that that's yeah, possible. History, history has shown us that it will. And, in fact, the silver dimes being that smallest measure of currency, the silver dimes, the quarters and the halves, 
again, this is that return to mean where everyone wants to know to be assured that they're paid for whatever it is that they're selling. Because I'm assuming farmers are still going to want to sell their food. Merchants are still going to want to do business. And difficult as it'll be without electronic money, let's say, or without some uh, reliable transfer of wealth, they're going to want something that they know they're actually paid on. And the silver coins, dimes, quarters, halves made before 1964 have a known quantity of silver in them. Now, it's up to the consumer. I, see, I must agree with you on this point. Chicanery runs amok in the gold market. The closest thing we have to regulation is the American Numismatic Association, of which I'm a proud life member. And they try to issue guidelines. But other than that, it's the Wild West. So if you walk into a coin shop and just say, how much is that silver dollar? And the guy says, 50 bucks, and you pay it, that's a, I mean, that's a huge mistake. You really need to know what you're buying or don't buy. Because i got to say, you're so correct on that point. It, it is almost impossible to get a good deal without doing your homework. Right. I, I guess, Mike, uh, one more, Jim, then I'll, okay. then I'll let you go. Okay. Uh, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm, cons- I'm concerned is how... If the currencies, the paper currencies collapse, how do we go into R.H. Macy's or Bloomingdale's or Kroger's or Publix and pay for our food when their system is driven on electronic currency and paper money? How do they handle the process of gold coin for payment? And I'm saying in the olden days when gold coins were the payment methodology, we have an economic system on a global basis that is not tied to gold. There is no standardization as far as market on a global basis. So there's going to be chaos, and people are going to find out that they can't redeem their gold because there's no liquidity, and nobody's, if nobody's willing to buy, there is no market. And I'm concerned that people well, are... Let's look, at it, let's look at it another way. On that day, how liquid do you think your stock portfolio is? Or your Puerto Rican bonds? How liquid are they? But that's, so that's not the issue. The issue is you're rep- you're representing you're representing liquidity for an item that has no regulated market to be able to sell it, and that's my concern, Jim. That's a great concern. We've got Dan Perkins with us today. Dan is uh, from TheHill.com and also Don Mazzella from SB Digest. Both of them comprise two guys from Verona, which is available on W4CY each and every week. We've also got with us today our special guest, which uh, we're going to get into uh, another topic here in a few moments with Andy. Andy is our uh, guest today. Andy Guys, he is a, one of America's foremost experts on the history of U.S. currency. He is also... Uh, president of SDL Numistics in uh, Hawthorne, New Jersey, and uh, he's the author of The Secret World of Money, and also Uncle Sam Cooks the Books. He's also an editor of the World Money Newsletter, and in this next segment, we're going to talk about Trump. Trump versus the Federal Reserve. Uh, Is the Donald biting off more than he can chew? Central bank retaliation could turn things ugly for Donald. As president, uh, he warns currency... Uh, he is he is doing all sorts of things. He's made no secret of his skepticism of the Federal Reserve Bank's policy or his dislike.
dislike of the Fed chairman, Janet Yellen. He's been highly vocal of his claim that the stock market is inflated and has accused Yellen of basically juicing the economy to help Democrats get reelected. And uh, I want to start off here, my first question, then we'll let Don jump in and then we'll let Dan jump in. Um, dismissing the Fed's drove of overpaid executives and replacing them with civil servants is one of the, one of the topics that uh, Donald wants to cover. My question for you, uh, Andy, is Trump biting off more than he can chew when he talks about replacing Janet Yellen and auditing the Fed's books if he becomes president? Well, uh, that's a question probably best posed uh, historically to Andrew Jackson. <laughs> we, uh, the period after Andrew Jackson was elected, you remember his, uh, his whole rallying cry was that he would kill the central bank. You know, yeah. vote and I'll kill the bank. And people voted for him, and he killed the bank. And then for the next seven years, we had a depression, the worst uh, ever on record. They called it the hard times. So up until that point, uh, there had never been such a, a severe economic contraction as the settling of the books of the Bank of the United States and the contraction yeah. of the loans that were there fueling the economy beforehand. So it, it was a, a really rough period. If we duplicate that, we won't be happy as a nation. Now, Don, uh, you, you're, you're a historian. You've studied all sorts of different things. When it comes to this, uh, what, 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 do you, what, do you, what do you have for Andy concerning the situation with Trump versus the Fed? I don't know if Don's even still there with us. I think we might have lost Don. Okay, Dan, jump in there. Do you have anything? Oh, do you there hear me is. now? There he is. I yeah, got you, we Don. Got you. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. No, no, um, no it's, it's really funny. Um, many years ago, I had a professor who uh, um, who's one of who wrote one of the top books on uh, the and uh, you know at the time uh, he I said to him why should we study Andrew Jackson and uh, uh, the, the second bank of the United States and everything and now here we are all these years later talking about this <clears throat> at the, at the time. I'm, I'm going to keep quiet most of this hour because we have two experts sitting here who know far more about the fiscal system than I'll ever know. All, all I've got to say is that the, the polls are saying that what Donald Trump is, uh, is talking about has great um, resonance within the uh, people of the United States. That, to, to me, is the... Uh, the interesting thing about it, but I'm going to keep quiet about a lot of this and let the, these two gentlemen go at it because they know a lot more. Okay, well, Dan, jump in there. <laughs> Give me your thoughts on this. Uh, first of all, let me say that that um, uh, I wrote a piece as a re as it relates to the uh, the the English vote, the UK vote on exiting the U the EU. Yeah. And in that piece, I talked about the elites in the British government and in the uh, liberal side of the political process. The elites uh, didn't believe that they were going to lose and that, the, that as a result of the fact that they did lose and they lost because the common man better understood what the hell was going on than the elites that's why the thing went the way it is. I believe that today we have a Federal Reserve of intellectual elites who have no common sense, including 
the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. How in the world, and, and I've been in this business, as I said, 43 years. How in the world, when you've got 94.7 million people unemployed or underemployed, how, and you know that the labor participation rate is less than 63%, how in the world can you consider the possibility that you need to raise interest rates? It shows that, one, they have no clue what they're talking about, and they are event-driven. Well, we were going to raise it three times this year, but we were concerned about the outcome of the British vote, so we're, we're sitting back and waiting to see what happens. In the meantime, we have 38,000 new jobs traded in the month of May. We've got a number coming out this Friday. We have 436,000 people who left the job force in the month of May. 436,000 people, and we added 38,000 new jobs. And the Federal Reserve thinks we need to raise interest rates. The Federal Reserve is out of touch with reality. And as long as we have those people trying to make economic policy, remember that the two principal functions, charges of the Federal Reserve, is control inflation and stimulate employment. How are they doing? Well, they decided they were going to control inflation by driving interest rates to zero. And other countries of the world, did you, Jim, today, this morning, the yield on the 10-year treasury in the United States hit an all-time low, all-time low since they've been issuing the 10-year. This morning, the 50-year Swiss bond, 50-year bond, went to a negative interest rate. 50-year duration. Putting money to work for 50-year maturity, guaranteed to lose money. Gold's a much better deal, even though it's not very liquid. Gold is a hell of a lot better deal than guaranteed to lose your money for the next 50 years? I mean, it's crazy. And so... What we have is the, the chairman of the Federal Reserve who wrote a paper in 1993 on the merits of negative interest rates. And I think that the Federal Reserve, which only has one bullet left in their gun, they're going to they're gonna shoot that because this economy, remember from the political process, the economy in the last year of a presidential term is the best it's going to be because the president either trying to get reelected or trying to build the economy so that his follower in his party can get elected. Now, we're, we're talking about a GDP in this country looking at something less than 1% for the year. We've got 94.7 million people under or unemployed. We've got a participation rate of 63%. And the Federal Reserve is concerned about the economy overheating. Give me a break. What Trump is saying, these guys are idiots. They're absolute idiots. They don't know how to manage policy because they change their mind as often as they change their underwear. There is no policy. There is no direction. They're basically reacting to current events and not making long-term strategic decisions. So, agreed. And you look at their quandary. Their quandary is, of course, MZM, money with a zero maturity, $14 trillion. That's people's money piled up in checking and savings accounts. And then monetary velocity, 
right along with workforce participation. Not only are people hoarding their money, but they're not spending it at all. So what is that? where does that leave us? There's only one thing that can fix this, and it's the American plan, what we had in 1808, and, of course, what Trump is alluding to, strong protective tariffs. You want a $10 gas, uh, a barrel gas tax? I want a $20 a barrel import tax on foreign oil. I want to put trade tariffs on Japan. Yep. I want to stop trading banking deals via the Federal Reserve for manufacturing jobs, which is effectively what we've done. We let our banks go into South Korea. You bring your cars and sell them in the United States. All of these are undermining not only environmental protections in the United States, hard won and put in, but worker safety. What about all the union gains? All of that is being union busted by horrible trade deals in which our export jobs, our jobs are exported to other countries where they ignore environmental regulations, they ignore labor regulations, they treat their workers so badly that they wouldn't even be able to employ people in the United States, and then we let them import their goods back into this country, not only not paying an income tax, Mitsubishi doesn't pay income tax in the U.S., but then there's no tax or tariff for any of their goods coming in. You go back to the American plan where the revenues of the central bank are controlled by the Treasury of the United States, and the import tax is collected at the border in the form of a tariff, you won't need an income tax. Uh, that makes sense. And you'll encourage companies to set up shop again in the United States instead of moving to Ireland, where the corporate rate is 12%. You know, here in the U.S., where they pay double that, triple that, of course triple they'll that. move to Ireland. Use your brain. Yeah, of course they will. So we incentivize companies to strip away American jobs. And I look at who led the pack there. Isn't it curious? The guy who's howling about Mitt Romney, was like one of the first guys to export American jobs and loot American companies. So, Jim, this morning, this morning, the International Energy Agency, which is an independent organization, yeah. reported that the proven reserves in the United States for crude oil are greater than the proven reserves of Saudi Arabia and Russia. What makes no sense to me, Jim, why are we importing 4 million barrels of oil a day from the Middle East when we've got wells shut in in the United States? We make our oil attractive by, as the gentleman suggested, by adding a tariff on imported oil. We'll stop buying that oil in a hurry and start using American oil and putting people back to work to pump the oil. But the idea that we're still spent, we're, we're importing 4 million barrels and we've got wells shut in in the United States is insane. It's part of this tariff and this trade policy that makes absolutely no sense. And I agree with the gentleman. What Trump is sa Trump is saying is that the way we're doing it is crazy, and the Federal Reserve is complicit in that they're they're trying to stimulate an economy, and they think, you know, Jim. I wrote a piece for the Surge, and the title of the piece was "Interest Rates Are Low." So what? Just because interest rates are no are low are not creating jobs. The Federal Reserve thought that if they reduced interest rates, it would incentivize American companies to expand. You don't incentivize a company to expand in a GDP of less than 2%. It don't work. Amen. 
And this is why the, the corporations are sitting on so much cash, because they can't come up with a logical reason why they should expand, no matter how cheap interest rates are. Right. Absolutely. That's why MZM, money with a zero maturity, has exploded to where it is. But that's the curious element, is that the balance sheet doesn't balance. So when I look at the Fed's balance sheet, I see the $4 trillion that they report has been entered into circulation, a trillion pre, uh, pre-mortgage pre crisis. So they've roughly quadrupled what was on their balance sheet prior to this event, uh, the mortgage meltdown. But, but Americans think they have $14 trillion in the bank. So the question has to be, you know, where's the other 10? The balance sheets just do not balance. And since all of this debt that we're talking about, what has happened to worldwide dollar-denominated debt in seven years? We went from $45 trillion to $97 trillion in dollar-denominated debt. If we don't have the money to pay, that's the very same crisis that we saw from 29 to 33. And the Fed had uh-huh. its hands tied because of the gold standard then. They don't have their hands tied today. So if their ability to double and even triple the money supply is any indication of where they intend to be, uh, I, I just say that having a little bit of gold will, might make some sense over the next 10 years. Uh, Jim, let me, let me give you a real-life example of, of this, uh, this stupidity. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I went on what they call a NOSH tour in New York City. Uh, and the NOSH tour is where you sampled things at different restaurants, okay? Yes. This tour, this tour took place on a Saturday in Queens, New York. And we went out to Queens, New York on the New York Metropolitan Transit Authority subway. And we got off at this particular station. I counted, I counted 37 people standing around in hard hats and colored vests watching two guys digging in a hole. Thirty-seven people watching two guys digging in a hole. We, we have no controls. We have no constraints. The reason why the money in, in the banks, the, I, in, in 43 years, I have never seen a savings rate as high as it is in the United States when you get nothing for your money, people are saving their money. They're afraid. They're concerned. They have no idea what's going on. They have no confidence in the government. So they're hoarding cash. They're not spending. Look at all the big box stores that are closing. And they're going to Internet shopping because that's where they, get, they, they think they get the best value. And so the American consumer is shifting its buying patterns and savings patterns to historical proportions. I mean, I've, in, in, in 43 years, I've never seen a north of 5% savings rate when you virtually get nothing at the bank. Nothing. Yeah, again, that's why I think uh, gold and silver hold some positive benefits. Sorry to do that again, but you know, when you, can't, when you get a negative rate of return, you put 10000 in the bank in January, you get ninety nine fifty back at the end of the year. Why not hold a tangible asset at that point? And, and that's what I think the behavior of the typical investor it will be. And I, I hope you're correct about this populist surge because it would most certainly restore my faith in humanity. Uh, we've tried this experiment, this free trade experiment, this central bank experiment for the better part of 100 years with dismal results. 
I think it's time to go back to the Constitution. No state shall make anything but gold and silver coin a tender and payment of debt. So if you're going to short me dollars, at least I know what they are. We have all of our wealth electronically denominated in dollars. We don't even know what they are. And unless and right. until we can get a straight answer, uh, do the Fed's books need to be audited? You bet they do. Does the entire Absolutely. Federal Reserve apparatus need to be picked up and moved into the Treasury? That's my opinion. I, that's what I think should happen. Right. Uh, Jim, um, uh, an, another point following up here. We're, we're in a situation, uh, and this, this may be where Don could jump in. I saw a report which just it's just mind-blowing to me. Over the last 40 years, last 40 years, 68,000 businesses have closed in the United States. And over 4.8 million people's jobs were moved overseas. 68,000 businesses. And they were good, relatively good-paying jobs. Because the the economy the economic situation was such that it was more productive for them to move the jobs overseas. Now, Don may have some more numbers about formation of new small businesses, but you know the the debt when 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 Trump is saying we lost the we lost the manufacturing jobs, we've lost millions of manufacturing jobs and and tens of thousands of manufacturing businesses who either went out of business because they couldn't compete or they went overseas to get their jobs, uh, their companies built. Don, anything to add there? Oh, I have a lot of figures to, to add to it. Thank, thanks. I've, I've just been enjoying listening to the two of you guys go at it. Um, uh, but, but it is true. Last year, there were less jobs, uh, less companies formulated uh, than at any time in the last uh, 15 years. New, new companies formulated. That's one fact. Two, the, um, we're talking about uh, jobs being uh, generated, uh, and, and small businesses are said to, to be the ones to really generate the jobs. But last year, we had the lowest number of new jobs formulated by small business than any time in the, the last five years. Um, uh, you're right about the fact that businesses went out of uh, out of business. Um, you're at, those figures are absolutely correct. Uh, and the plain and simple fact is, the average um, uh, uh, income of American families declined last year, and in fact is lower than it was uh, ten years ago. Isn't that a shame? Isn't that a shame that uh, all of this is happening? Where has the middle class gone? They've, uh, well, most of them have gone overseas. Uh, if if you look at the uh, uh, the various uh, uh, luxury items, etc., where are they all being sold today? In China. I'll go back to you, Dan, and to to, to our guests who are doing a great job. And so, what other questions you got, Jim? Got anything else? Agree on more than we differ. Hey, what about Hillary? 
Well, that, that that was that was that was my next that was my next question here. Uh, we've got we've got our uh, we've got our great guest with us today. He is uh, joining us live, Andy Guys, and uh, we also have Dan Perkins and Don Mazzella and um, Andy from a financial perspective, and from just uh, I guess your personal opinion perspective. What do you make of the thing today with Hillary? And then we'll let Dan and Don jump in there. Uh, uh, to me, it's simple. You know, if you're connected, you're protected. And <laughs> if she's not connected, I don't know who is. So, uh, I think the whole event with the husband meeting the attorney general to talk about their grandkids. Hey, you get off your private plane. Come over here and stand in my private plane. No pictures, anyone. We're just going to talk about grandkids. Okay. Yeah, what do they call that? Ex parte communication? <laughs> uh, I think the whole thing stinks. And the American people see it for what it is, a sham. Dan, your thoughts. You want my honest opinion? Yes. <laughs> or do you you want to put something you can put on the air? <laughs> <laughs> Whichever. <laughs> I, I I I told Don when I heard about this this morning. I said that Comey, in his announcement, said today that he couldn't figure out a way to prosecute her because there was no precedent but that she was not she was not found not guilty and that's true he she he didn't say she did anything wrong he found that he couldn't find any precedent by which to charge her but he charged her with uh, endangering national security by her wanton disrespect for the laws of this country and, uh, and and he pointed out to the fact that she had said on numerous occasions she never sent or received any classified or any emails marked classified, and there were 56 chains of information which he reported that was in fact handled on her server that was classified information. So for some reason they couldn't find a precedent. I don't know what the hell happened to the to the decision as it related to George General Petraeus, but they couldn't seem to find any precedent. I, I have to say I'm disappointed in Mr. Comey, uh, but I think that the American, the American people hopefully will understand how crooked Hillary fits the name. Don? Well, actually, if Donald Trump handles this well, he could get it so that the American people uh, indict uh, Hillary Clinton. If, if he can come up with a, uh, some great ways of doing it. Clearly, um, the cynicism that's overwhelming Americans right now uh, can be turned into victory for Donald Trump if he does it uh um, does it uh, smartly in the next couple of days? I'm, I'm reading some of the accounts and uh, from the various people. And by the way, um, I'll admit on your program that I have to have egg on my face. I didn't think, uh, as my wife pointed out, I said uh, I didn't expect the indict indictments until uh, September. There are no indict indictments. And it looks as my prediction that she will not be the candidate has gone by the boards. Uh, uh, this was this was the last way that she she could uh, be 
thrown off the Democratic uh, ticket. So I guess we're going to uh, uh, see a race between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Uh, uh, it's uh, unfortunate that out of all of America, we could only find these two people to run for president of the United States. Isn't that a sad commentary about today's world? No, it's not a sad commentary. It's a reality. It's the reality of the world we live in today. We had 17 people who started out on this Republican candidate program. And as a result, we came down to one under a, an open and fair process by which we selected a candidate. If there are other candidates who wanted to come in, they certainly had the opportunity to do that. But it just seems to me that the idea that, that we, we have a situation that we've got two schlocks, uh, we may have one schlock uh, and one crook uh, at the same time, but I, I believe that there's a process in our country of how we do things, and we've gone through the process. Now, in the case of Hillary, I think there's a possibility. I could be Pollyannish here, but I think there's a possibility that this series of events will turn the tide of many Democrats against her. And the concern being that she has put herself, she hasn't been exonerated. She wasn't said she was, they didn't say she was innocent. They just couldn't find a statute, a precedent she, to, char, to charge no, her. No, she's, she's claiming her first, uh, no, if you're looking at the uh, uh, things, she's claiming, well, it proves I'm innocent. We can go on from here. That's, that's the tax she's taking, Dan. I, I know you want to take it the other way around, but she's taking the tack. They couldn't prove it, hence I'm innocent, let's go on. That's uh, um, that's okay. the way she's doing it. Uh, I understand, I understand. I think the smarter move would have, she should have said, uh, mea culpa, I'm sorry, let the American people uh, forgive me. And they would, Americans being what they are. But, she, but she's going to take a different tact, and it appears from her first uh, comments that she's taking a different tact and, and uh, saying, well, you know, you didn't prove it. Like she did with Whitewater, like she's doing, has done every every step of the way. It's, uh, and it's brought her to the steps of the White House. So who can fault her for, for uh, uh, this, uh, this uh, avenue of attack? Or defensive, uh, as the case may be. Well, I just, I just, I, I just think. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jim. Well, no, a Andy, Andy. What, what, what do you think about all this? No, I, I have to agree with Don on this one. Had she come clean earlier on, and, and but, but staying with it till the end, and I think anyone who is of common sense who reads the report and listens to the FBI director comes to that same conclusion that Dan so eloquently pointed out. Just because we can't find a statute under which to charge you doesn't mean you didn't do wrong. And for you to like, not admit it and say, I'm sorry, and ask for our forgiveness, we're not going to give you the job just on that basis. I think if Donald Trump just keeps his mouth shut for three or four days and lets the, his pit bulls get out there and do the work, uh, that the American people will see this for what it is, a whitewash and a cover-up. I agree. I agree. Well, you know, it's certainly not the way the media is going to take it. I'm, I'm looking now at the uh, New York Times for a story on it. 
and uh, you, all you have to do is sit, the times which which sets the agenda, and I'm I'm going right there. Advises no charge. FBI advises no charge. Director rebukes her for extremely careless email use. Uh, no reasonable prosecutor could bring a case. That's the first lines. Uh, will ha have a, an enormous impact on the presidential election. The, the Times story, if, if you read it, um, and the Times sets the tone for the national media that we so that we on this program seem to so so much at horror is simply saying uh, no charges. That's what will be the headline, and that's what they'll say. Um, uh, I, I, I hope you're right, but I think Donald Trump has got to do something to really drive this point home. Agreed. Agreed. Whether he will or not, I don't know. But uh, it is it is a uh, it's really a, a, a disappointment to me in the judicial in the Justice Department that we had the week before the interview with Hillary, we had the, the former president and spouse talking to the Attorney General and the Attorney General, the Attorney General not knowing the rules of the Justice Department that it's prohibited to have contact with the family members of somebody under investigation, criminal investigation, she put herself above the law. And she was sorry that she did it, but that's basically bullcrap. She knew exactly what she was doing. She understood what the rules were. She decided that she was above the law. She could handle the, the discussion with, with the former president. And the problem is the president didn't have to say anything. It was his physical presence that he wanted to see her on the tarmac. And she should have said to him, go away. I can't talk to you. Not while this investigation is pending. But she didn't do that. So she and herself corrupted the law because she didn't do what the rules of the Justice Department are about hmm. dealing with related members of people under criminal investigations. And clearly, the FBI told us, Director Comey told us, that she, that Hillary was under a criminal investigation. And yet Loretta Lynch decided she didn't have to deal with her own departmental rules. Is she no different than Hillary, who decided, I'm going to have my own email server, and I'm not going to worry about security, and I'm going to send secret documents? She decided she was above the law. Loretta Lynch and her behavior made the decision that she was above the rules of the Justice Department. And what does that talk about this administration and the corruption of this administration and the corruption of the Barack Obama administration? Yeah. Uh, Dan, I'm just reading the, uh, the New York Times story, which finally came out. Um, two, two points. Mrs. Clinton used multiple private servers for her personal and government business, not just a single server. That's right. a, a brand new. Um, she also used it while she was overseas um, 
uh, 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 he noted she used her mobile devices extensively while traveling outside the U.S., including tri trips in the territory of sophisticated adversaries. She was using her BlackBerry, and it's a it's a, it's a notorious, easily crackable device. So right. So she made decisions. Says she, again, she didn't have, there. She didn't ask for the server. If she would, they, the, the inspector general said, if she would have been asked for the server, they would have told her no. So she didn't ask. But she did lie to us about, according to Comey, she did lie to us about transferring classified, coded classified documents across the system, and and putting it in jeopardy and and mm -hmm. top secret and ultra top secret. So I just don't understand why they couldn't find a statute to try her when they found something to try Petraeus. I just, I don't understand. And the Times story that, alludes uh, to that, too. Uh, uh, the only reason I keep quoting the Times is because the, the, I guarantee you that this story will be repeated to, uh, 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 all around the, the media for, for the next two days. And this is the story. Unbelievable. This is the slant. Yeah, the, the slant. Yeah, well, the slant of the New York, New York Times. Before we let everybody go, uh, Andy, uh, go ahead and uh, give us give us some uh, some plugs here. Where, where do we find you? How do we pick up the books? All that. Okay, so I've put together three audio CDs to make my case. Uh, one is on the Federal Reserve, half hour on the Fed. Uh, the other is the definition of money, what is a dollar, and the third is protecting your wealth. That's basically what Dan and I were discussing about the spreads and how to buy and what to ask for and all those questions that everyone needs to ask before they ever consider buying gold. All you have to do to get those is just mention that you heard it on Jiggy's show here. Call 800-468-2646. I'll throw in a few copies of my newsletter and some advertisements for my books. If you're interested in any of those, you can order them separately. Otherwise, no obligation. Three audio CDs, the Federal Reserve, half hour, the definition of money, half hour, and protecting your wealth, half hour. At the end, you'll know all about coins. The number is 800-468-2646. That's 800-468-2646. Dan, how do we find you, my friend? My books, The Brotherhood of the Red Nile Trilogy, is available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble in hard copy, paperback, ebook, and audiobook. And my, my author's website is danperkins.guru, G-U-R-U. And my foundation website is songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Don Mazzella, how do we find you, my friend? DonMazzella.com. That's a, a site for all my books, and next week we will be announcing our new newest book, uh, 2SBDigest.com. That's for for our newsletters, and hashtag 2SBDigest if they want to follow us on Twitter. Thank thank you all. I, again, really learning a lot. And uh, remember, at eight o'clock tonight on WC. Uh, <laughs> Dan, help me out over here. W4CY. W4CY radio.com. We've got 8 two men, Eastern. Two men two from Verona. 
Two men from Verona. Verona. <laughs> well, we're guys, we're men. Two guys from Verona, and we, a 